If you could, would you please turn to Acts chapter 11 as we are continuing our our walk through the book of Acts. And this morning I've entitled the sermon, The Rub. And I'm sure many of us have have experienced a rub before. And recently I've I've been thinking a lot about something that's been all over the news. Everybody's been talking about it and, and that is earthquakes. Right, we we had this great big earthquake up in Northern California, and I I'm not sure how many of you actually felt that earthquake. I didn't actually feel it, but being raised and and born here in Southern California, I've felt many earthquakes over the years. And in Papua New Guinea, we felt even more earthquakes. And the one place you don't want to be in an earthquake in Papua New Guinea is in one of the the village houses. One of the tribal houses. Why? Because they're all up about eight, ten feet and they just go back and forth and you're just wondering if the whole thing's going to topple or not. I actually thought that a safe place to be would be in town, but we had a, a run in with an earthquake there that was the most scary experience I've ever had when it, when it came to earthquakes. I think it was about two o'clock in the morning. Shannon and I wake up because the, yeah, there's an earthquake going on and there's, there's, Paintings and pictures falling off the walls. Everything's moving. We're in a water bed, so the water's moving back and forth. So we jump up out of our bed at that time. We only had Kara and Blake, and they were both quite young. Shannon runs over and grabs Blake because he's still a little baby. I grab Kara, and then we have to make our way down this hallway in order to get to the stairs, in order to get outside away from this house that is just going like this. So as we're carrying the kids down the hallway, it's as if I'm, I'm in a cardboard box or something, and somebody's tapping the walls on the box, and, 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 and the sides of the walls, I'm just getting thrown back and forth. I can't even make this little gauntlet that's like an eight-foot passageway. Because I'm just, the walls are just racking us back and forth, back and forth. Praise the Lord. We finally make it down the stairs outside and huddle with all these other missionaries and everybody's wearing their pajamas and it, it was kind of funny. <laughs> but the next morning it wasn't so funny as we, we jumped in a, in a truck and I had plans to actually go surfing with a couple guys and, and we're in a truck and as we're driving along this dirt road, I, I get this weird feeling that something's happening behind us. And as we turn and look, no lie that, that there's a creator, a crater being created right behind our truck. And, and, and what started off is just a small little, you know, two inch gap that, that's right in between our tires. Now behind us has turned into a four foot gap that goes two inches, two feet deep that would, we would have lost the truck in it. And that just follows us. Why? Because this earthquake had, had somehow weakened that dirt road. And so when we came home from, from surfing, we actually had to find a, a whole different place, a different route to come home. Because that earthquake had created so much damage. And now things were separated. And I'm sure when, when I say something like a rub, what, what happens is... Our relationships at times can, can act like, like an earthquake. And, and we know what an earthquake is, right? Even though I'm not a scientist and I, I don't understand everything about what happens underneath the surface, I do know that there are these things called tectonic plates, right? And these tectonic plates, they're, they're always, or tectonic plates, they always move back and forth. And at times, these, these plates, they, they bump into each other, they, they rub each other, and, and they can actually go over and get on top of each other. 
And when that happens, that the, the overhang that happens is, is then called a fault. And we know that we have one of the biggest faults that there is called the San Andreas fault, right? And as these are on top of each other now, the plates don't stop moving. They keep moving, creating all this pressure. And over time, what happens is one little part of, of, of that fault breaks off, right? And that, that pressure then goes up and that's what makes an earthquake. But isn't that, ha- isn't that what happens in our relationships at times? That, that we find ourselves that there's something under the surface that is, that is driving us apart. And what we have is we have a rub. We have a rub with another person. That kind of rub can come into a church. And it can become so divisive that you have a church split. That kind of rub can come into a family. And parents and children can, can have such a rub that, that over time, the, the children won't talk to mom or dad for 10, 15, 20 years, right? Well, today we are going to see in God's Word the rub. A rub just like that, that that happens between Peter and a group of Jewish believers. And what we are going to see is that rather than this rub turning into a great big earthquake, by God's grace and and the way that, that Peter handles the situation, as well as the way that these circumcised believers respond to Peter, instead of there being a major earthquake or anything like that, The Lord works everything out. So turn with me to to Acts chapter 11. And we will be looking at verses 1 to 18 this morning. Which read, Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? 
When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. For Your inspired Word, Lord, that speak so openly about life. Lord, we pray that this morning you would guide us into the truth in your word. That you would allow us to gleam what you would have us gleam. That we might be able to to honor you and to give you glory when the rub comes. When someone comes and and has an issue with us, Lord that we would respond in a godly fashion following the lead of Peter here. So guide us now by your Holy Spirit. Teach us as only your Holy Spirit can. For it's in the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So today what we're going to see is three wonderful things. What we started with back in chapter 10 is is still in focus. And that is Christ's church. And we're going to see first how Christ indeed keeps the church doors wide open. That all would come in. Not just the Jews, not just those in Temecula, but the Wairani, people in Ecuador, the Siawi people in Papua New Guinea. For, for this story is their story. This story is our story. And so we are going to see that Christ keeps the doors to His churches wide open and that Christ keeps His church unified. As this friction that comes could have turned into something so much worse. Could have created a, vi- a division in the church. But we're also going to see something very practical for you and I. A practical lesson for you and I in how we should handle conflict. That when the rub comes, how should we respond? And the first thing that we see is the rub itself. Look at verses 1 to 3. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him saying you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So we see that the news of what happened, of what happened in Caesarea with Cornelius and his household and Peter, had beaten Peter to Jerusalem. Long before Peter arrives, they already knew about this news. In fact, not only had they heard the news, but they had already begun to draw conclusions. And it's interesting to see what the news was that they had heard. What had they heard? Had they heard the news that they had received the Holy Spirit? No. Had they heard the news that they had been baptized? No. What what is revealed to us in verse 1 is what they had heard is that they had received the Word of God. And we see that before someone can be baptized or before someone actually receives the Holy Spirit, what needs to happen? They need to hear the Word of God so that they then can receive it. 
just as the challenge that I, that I gave us all last week, that we would share the gospel with someone. Why? Because they must hear the word and respond and receive the word of God, the gospel, in order to turn towards the Lord. And I was so encouraged by, by many who, who told me this week that, that they knew exactly who they needed to go and share the gospel with. A neighbor that they had not gone to before. Even going to a doctor's office and, and, and sharing with the nurse and, and, and other things. Praise the Lord for what He is doing. And so we see that this news comes. And, and yet, isn't it funny, isn't it strange that, that there's a group that as Peter returns home, no doubt he's like a missionary coming home thinking about, oh, this is going to be such a wonderful reunion. This is going to be such a... a a time of encouragement. I'm going to sit down with the believers in Jerusalem and I'm going to share with them all that God has been doing and how the Gentiles have come to salvation. Oh, this is going to be so great. And yet what happens is he comes and, and there is a rub. There is a huge rub. And, and, and the rub, when it says that they took issue with him, that, that doesn't mean that they took issue with him one time. The, the idea behind the Greek is that this continued to happen. No doubt eating away at Peter as it continually came up to him. And, and what was their issue? That he had eaten with them. And yet in this, who was it that had issue with Peter? Who was it that started this rub? What was it the apostles? No. Was it the brethren mentioned in verse 1? No. It's, it's the select group that is designated only in this manner, the uncircumcised men. Those that were, I'm sorry, the circumcised Jewish believers. But when you think about it, okay, if we were to zap ourselves back into this time, and we were to go into this church and we were to have every male in this church raise their hand who was circumcised, every male would raise their hand. So, so this delineation is not enough to let us know, well, is that the only reason why they are singled out? No, the, the reason why these men are singled out is because they put all their stock into following the law. That's what they were all about. Not only that, they rightfully believed, at least in their own minds, in order for someone to come to salvation in Christ, you must first become like a Jew. So you must do all the things that the Jews did, which would include circumcision. And since these guys were not circumcised, they, they take issue with Peter. They get upset with him. And we shouldn't think that just because they believed so much in circumcision that they were wrong. Because circumcision is something good. Something that the Lord had given them by His own will and, and sovereign choice, right? Going back to Genesis chapter 17 in Abraham. The Lord told, tells Abraham, hey, you are to circumcise all males from this point on. Why? As a sign and a testimony that they belong solely to me. And so from that point on, there was a distinction. All those that were circumcised belonged to God and they were set apart for God and by God. And all those that were not circumcised, you are not a part of God's covenant. That's what it meant. It's that simple. And, and yet, there, there's a, another significant 
piece of the puzzle concerning circumcision that you and I must consider because we need to consider who the people groups were that lived all around the nation of Israel, these other nations, and and what was their religious practice like? Well, it was wrapped up in in, in sexual practice of immorality regarding the worship of these so-called deities. That's how they worshipped. And so what is God doing? He is establishing right from the beginning, my people and the worship of me is entirely different. And everyone is going to know that because of what I'm going to tell these men to do. Any man that follows me needs to do this. Why? Because I am a holy God and I want my people to walk before me in holiness. And so that's why he gives them this covenant, this this act of circumcision so that they would know among themselves that we are set apart to God, but also apart from from all these other nations. And these other nations would know too that their God is different and the way that they have set themselves apart and the way that they worship Yahweh is different than all these other nations. So what was the problem? Was it their desire to be separated unto God and to be separate from all these other nations? No. That, that was a good desire. What their problem was is that they could not understand the larger picture that what God is concerned with is the heart. And that He wanted someone who would fully surrender to Him their heart. And that it wasn't so much about what you did on the outside, but it was what your heart was like on the inside. And that God's heart was for all mankind. And yet, what is their practice? What is their thinking? Their thinking is anyone who didn't uphold such a high view of circumcision was a problem. And basically, Peter is like a fault rubbing against them. And, and what is he he's about? He's going to start an earthquake. And, and what is he doing? He is shaking their world. Because he is coming and saying, no, they do not need to be circumcised. They don't need to become Jewish first before they enter into Christ's church. But at least what they are doing in in some aspects is is pretty good, right? Because instead of just just having a, a gripe with Peter and disagreeing with him and being upset with him and leaving, they, they at least present Peter with the problem, right? They at least let him know what the rub is. And what is the rub? That, that you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Peter, that is the problem that we have with you. That you allowed these uncircumcised men to, to eat with you. And I believe this is what they're thinking. They're thinking, okay, wait a minute, Peter. If it's right for you to break kosher... And to eat with these uncircumcised Gentiles. If it's right for you to do that. Well then Peter, it must be right for these Gentiles to come into our homes and to eat with us. It must be right for these Gentiles to come into our churches and worship with us and to have fellowship with us. And Peter, that is going too far. And so Peter, we're going to call you out on that. And perhaps this morning you're saying, okay, Pastor Jason, I get all that, but what does that have to do with me? I'm not Jewish and I, and I don't hold the circumcision that much. In fact, Pastor Jason, I understand that circumcision has been, you know, kind of reshaped into the New Testament as, as baptism. 
And yet don't 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 go too far too quickly because you, you, you must recognize that even thinking about circumcision in the Old Testament for for all the good that it was, it, it doesn't represent a saved Israelite because all males in the Israelite nation were circumcised. That didn't mean that they were trusting in Yahweh for salvation. That didn't mean that they were saved Israel. Only those that trusted in Yahweh and what He said were the ones that represented saved Israel. There were many circumcised males from Israel that were not saved. And so today we have baptism. And yes, it, it, it pictures that being that we are setting ourselves apart for the Lord. But it's only done after we believe. It's only done after one places their faith and confidence in Christ. And so it's something done only for believers. But still you might be saying, I still don't get it. This still doesn't relate to me. And how can, how can this be the same? And, and well, let me try to, to remind you of how you and I might be like these Jews. You see, we're, we're all very welcoming to others to come to our church, to sit next to us in church. We're welcoming to, to others coming and joining our family, perhaps coming and, and eating dinner with us, as long as there is one criteria. And, and that criteria is that they are just like us. Right? Isn't that the way that we function? But as soon as someone is a little bit different than us, well, then, then, then we want to put on the brakes and we, we want to push back a little bit and give us a, a little bit more room. What if someone raises their hands during worship and, and you're just not comfortable with that? What, what if, if someone is, is a little bit more modest in their dress or perhaps more immodest? What, what if someone decides, you know what? They, they, they like to have a, a drink of wine with dinner. What, what if someone watches a movie that you don't think is appropriate? What, what do we do with all of those situations? Do you allow them to rub you to such an extent that you finally, you just separate yourself from them, from them, not having any interaction with them? Is that what the body of Christ is supposed to look like? Is that what Christ church is supposed to look like? Is that what RBC is supposed to look like? No, this is what we're supposed to fight against. What is the problem? What is the problem represented with what we see in these guys' life? Why are they doing this? I believe it's priorities. Notice what these men were most concerned about. What they were concerned about was that Peter had eaten with the Gentiles. What did they skip over? What did they not even consider? What, what are they, they not even caring about? The salvation of the Gentiles. They get this wonderful, great news. And then they hear this little tidbit about the fact that Peter goes and eats with them. What should they have been spending all their time considering, thinking about, praising the Lord about, they should have been thinking about the salvation that came to these people, to Cornelius and to his family. But instead, what are they doing? I believe they are majoring on the minors. And they're taking the things that should be major and they're making them minor. And they're flipping things upside down. They're choosing to be overcritical. They were choosing to hold too tightly to that which they should have had an open hand with. They took their preference and they said, no, this is, this is the ultimate. And the thing that is the ultimate, the salvation of a soul, they totally neglected and left aside. And so what we see in, in, in their 
rub with Peter is really a good example of a bad example of how you and I should not act. How we shouldn't be overcritical. How we shouldn't major on minors and make the minors majors. But the Lord also shows us how we should respond when someone has a rub against us, with us. When there is conflict. And we know that conflict will come, right? You can't get away from it unless you move out to some solitary island all by yourself. And you'll probably still have a rub. Trust me, you will. With a coconut that doesn't come down the right time. Or what have you, right? And so what we see next is, is we see the response. And this is so good for us to understand how you and I should respond when there is a rub. Look at verse 4. We'll start here. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them an orderly sequence, saying, Notice how Peter responds. And all the ways that Peter could have responded, he doesn't. He responds in grace, in gentleness, calmness, in orderly fashion, with good logic, instead of reacting. Instead of taking this as some sort of personal attack and coming back on them personally. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He, he lays out the entire story putting God in the center. He takes himself out of the mix. And, and I have a hard time relating to Peter, actually, because I am so good at reacting rather than responding. And I don't have to think too far back in the last several weeks to, to think of an example of a time where I should have responded in godliness and patience and kindness and love, but instead I, I reacted like a volcano. Just two weeks ago, I... I told my, my youngest daughter, Kylie, and, and, and I told her that I was going to share this story because if I didn't, I'd be in a lot of trouble. I told my youngest daughter, Kylie, hey, Ky- look, at, I, I'm going to go upstairs now. I'm going to go to my little closet. I'm going to practice my sermon. So, so please don't bother me. And she, oh, yes, Dad, yes, Dad. So then I go upstairs. I'm practicing my sermon. This, this may surprise you, but I, but I actually try to make sure that, that I'm not going to preach for an hour and a half so you guys just don't all get up and leave. And as I'm practicing the sermon, what happens? And I'm like, uh, who is it? I'm hoping it's my wife. And she's like, Kylie. And right then, instead of responding, I react. I open the door and I say, Kylie, didn't you hear me? Didn't I tell you what I was doing? What are you doing here? And she says, oh, Dad. We, we want to go see a movie and... and if we go soon, we can get the cheaper tickets and, and we wanted to invite you to come with us. <clears throat> right? Man, I, I blew it. I had an opportunity to be gracious and loving to my daughter. Instead, it was an opportunity to show her how to ask forgiveness and tell her, I'm sorry, I'm sorry sweetie. Your daddy erupted and, and, and she'd be like, don't say you said daddy. Say Dad. And that is the reality. That At least that's the way that, that I, I, I react many times instead of responding. And, and we need the Lord's grace. And what we see in Peter is he doesn't react. He doesn't take it personally. In fact, he, he goes back and, he, and he's going to put God in the focus. 
He's going to clearly communicate that God is the one leading. God is the one guiding. God is the one directing everything that's going on. And, and that's what he does is he goes back now. And, and notice this is really the third time in these last two chapters where we see a retelling of the same story. I'm sure at this time you guys, I got this one. I could preach this. I mean, we heard it last week and, and this. Well, why are, we go, why are you going so slowly through this again? Well, because when God says something once, we need to listen. When God says something twice, we need to stop and really listen. But when he says it three times, we need to recognize, oh my, this has got to be oh so important. Don't miss this. And what is this? What he's letting us know is that his church is to be open to all. No matter what your background, no matter what your nationality that, that it should be open to all. And he's giving us these sweet understandings of, of how we are to handle conflict among us. So look at verses 5 to 10. As again, we see that, that where Peter starts with is the vision that he received, which is oh so important. Why? Because he wants to clearly let the listeners know what is so important is that God is not partial. And that the churches, that door to Christ church needs to be wide open, guys. And he does that like this by saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. Notice that's where he starts. He doesn't start with, oh, I was up on top of this house and it was at this time. No, why? Because that's not important. What's important is he wants the Lord to be in focus. And so he lets them know, you know what? I was praying. I was seeking the Lord. I was asking the Lord for wisdom. And in a trance, I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. And it came right down to me. That's new. It came to him so that he would know exactly what was on that sheet. He wasn't far away. It was right to him. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals on the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and everything was drawn back up into the sky. So we see first that Peter, that Peter goes right to his vision. Why? In order to communicate, the most important thing is that God is not partial. He is impartial. But notice what Peter doesn't say. If I was Peter, I would have responded something more like this. Well, I am the great apostle Peter, second to none. Have you not heard my sermons? Have you not heard how many people have believed because of me? Listen, this is my church and what I say goes. So if you don't like what's going on and you don't like the direction that I'm heading, then there is the door you go. Instead, he doesn't flaunt his apostolic authority at all. And he could have. Why? Because he wants God to be in the center, not himself. Because he wants them to understand that God is doing this. That Christ is the one moving. And this begs a question, at least in my mind. How does God speak today? Notice that that the Lord doesn't bring a vision to these circumcised Jewish believers that have this problem with Peter. He could have. He could have just brought them the vision of the sheet and dropped it down and brought it up, dropped it down, brought it up. And then they, oh, gotcha, Peter, just like you. We had the same vision. No, instead he uses Peter. 
You know why? Because this is not the norm. The norm isn't for you or for me to have a vision whenever the Lord is going to tell us what to do next. I would love for the Lord to give me a vision as to how I'm supposed to sell my car, but that's just not happening. So how does the Lord guide us? How does the Lord speak to us today? He does it through His Word. If you want to be led clearly by God, by the Lord, here's what I would suggest. First, as you spend time with the Lord in your devotions, in your quiet time, whatever you call it, whether it's in the morning or whether it's in the evening or late at night, what do you do? You start off first by opening your heart to the Lord. By seeking the Lord in prayer and asking Him to lead, to guide, to direct you, to make His Word understandable and known. And then you don't leave it there. You open the Word. And you spend time in the Word. And you let the Word of God speak to you. And then you close the Word and then you spend more time in prayer. And you know what the Lord will do? He will guide you. He will lead you. He will direct you in whatever life situation you might find yourself in. And sometimes, as we're going to see with Peter, he's going to allow you to remember different scriptures so that you can share it with somebody as you're sharing the gospel. Why? Because that is what the Lord does and that is the job of the Holy Spirit. Let me also, too, just just throw out this thought. Think about this vision, this sheet coming up and down, up and down, up and down three times, right? I mentioned before that the, that the clean animals no doubt represent the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and that the unclean animals represented the Gentiles. But what about the sheet itself? Does the sheet itself represent anything? And I believe it does. I believe it represents Christ's church. And that it is showing us that Christ's church should be, would be, will be comprised of all peoples, all nations, all people groups, all tongues. Meaning people that speak all tongues. No distinctions. Because that is the Lord's heart. That is the Lord Jesus' Jesus Christ's plan. It's why he, he told them, hey, not just to go to Jerusalem and Judea, but to Samaria and where? To the outermost parts of the earth. And that is exactly what is happening here. And so Peter starts off with with highlighting this vision that the Lord gave him to put God in the mix. And we need to bring God into whatever kind of squabble, whatever kind of rub that we have with someone else. Man, this is a really great thing to teach your children. When two of your children are fighting over a toy, don't just take the toy out of the mix and then send them to their different rooms. Bring Christ, bring God into the equation and say, hey, you know the reason why you're fighting over this toy? It's not because it's the greatest toy ever. Next week you're going to fight over a different toy. The problem is, is that your little hearts, that you need help and you speak the gospel into your kids at that particular point. And, and we see that here with Peter, that he's trying to show how God is involved in everything that is going on, how Christ is leading. And the next thing that he does is he's going to show how the Holy Spirit is involved. Look at verses 11 and 12. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, showing that God again is in control right at that moment, at the exact time, having been sent to me from Caesarea, the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me and we entered the man's house. 
So what do we see next? Next we see that Peter communicates that the Holy Spirit indeed was leading, guiding, and directing everything that was going on. So it wasn't just a vision, it was actually the Holy Spirit as well. And while you and I might not be given visions every day, we do have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us as our helper, as our guide. But notice here too that Peter's not done. He doesn't want to just communicate how the Lord has been working in his life, but he also wants to communicate how God has been working both sides, actually. He he actually has been working on the side of Cornelius and his family, too. Look at verses 13 and 14, which says, And he reported, speaking, and Cornelius reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So what does he say? This is something that would blow the minds of these Jewish believers that are circumcised away. Why? Because the Lord doesn't grant visions to Gentiles. This is not norm. This is, this is not normal in any stretch of the imagination. They can't believe it. And yet that is exactly what the Lord does. Why? Because he has opened the doors of his church. And he wants all to enter in. But notice too here what, what was communicated to Cornelius. It wasn't ambiguous. He knew exactly why Peter was coming and what the message was that Peter was bringing. He was bringing the message of salvation. He was bringing the gospel to Cornelius. And Cornelius recognized, oh, you know what? It, I, I've been told that, that the message of salvation is coming. We have been waiting for the message of salvation. And I've been told that, that not just me, but, but my family, all my family is going to receive it and believe as well. And so what does he do? Well, it makes sense that he invites them all to come and to hear. Why? Because he recognizes that if he was the only one to believe, that his faith is not then credited to someone else. And so that all of his children are then saved. No, that is an individual choice. That is a personal choice where each one of us must choose to trust in Christ and place our confidence in Him. My faith in Christ cannot be passed down to my children and and credited to them so that they could go to heaven. No, they must trust in Christ for themselves. And so that is why Cornelius does what he does. But there is still yet one more way that Peter communicates that the Lord is in control and that the Lord is guiding and leading. And that is seen in, in verses 15 and 16, which says this. And as I, so Peter speaking, as I began to speak, so it lets us know that he's not even finished with his sermon yet. So he's not ready for this to happen. He doesn't think this is going to happen yet. The Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So then this way is the fourth time, the fourth way that Peter communicates that the Lord is leading, the Lord is guiding, the Lord is directing by revealing to them that the Holy Spirit was given to these Gentiles just as he was given to them back at Pentecost. But don't miss the significance of what else Peter says look at where Peter leads them as he says this and I remembered the word of the Lord he doesn't merely just recount all that happened but he takes them and he takes them to God's word and we have to remember that at this point in time they didn't have the canon of scripture 
It wasn't like he could open the book of Acts because the book of Acts wasn't written yet. Right? And so what, what does he do? He takes them back to what the Lord Jesus Christ had told him. And you and I must do the same. As situations arise, how are we to understand if a certain activity or experience is to be validated as God's leading and directing? As we watch something, should we look at it and purely based on the experience and what is happening, then say, oh yes, look what God is doing. And I would say from this, no, we see that activity and experience alone is not enough. We must validate a work of God through the Scriptures. And that is exactly what Peter does here. He takes God's Word and speaks it into this situation and says, hey, look, this is in agreement with what Jesus said. This shouldn't surprise us. Why? Because it goes along with God's Word. And that's what you and I should do. In order to discern if something is of God or not of God, it must measure up with what God's Word communicates, what God's Word says. And so, what has Peter done now? He's shown that God is at work. He's shown also that it is in agreement with what Jesus had said to him and to them, to the apostles. And so what does he do next? Next, he wants to bring some resolution. He tries to bring the rub to a resolution. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift, notice here that the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's not something that that can ask for. It's something that God freely gives us. As He gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter recognized the importance of understanding and sensing that the Lord is leading, that the Lord is guiding, that the Lord is directing, And that he just follows where God is leading instead of saying, no, stop, God, hold on. This is not the way that I want to go. I want to go that way. So turn this whole train around and let's go this way. I want you to redo this and I want these men to first be circumcised and then receive the Holy Spirit and then become believers. No, he doesn't do that. He follows wherever God is leading And as he does this, what his argument has, has been strong. Why? Because he's, he's shown from Scripture. Who are his witnesses? His witnesses are not just the six men that come along with him, as well as himself, so really as seven witnesses. But it's the Holy Spirit, as we've seen, and it's the Word of God. And as a result, could anybody stand up to that? No. Who could argue with all that Peter has presented? And that's why we see in verse 18 the way that they respond. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So what has happened here? A complete reversal, a complete turnaround. At the beginning, they were totally opposed to Peter. And now they're first they're silent and then they're glorifying the Lord. Why? Because they recognize that God is in control, that God is leading, God is directing. And I believe in this, in their response, we see three things that you and I can learn when somebody is rubbing us. 
The first is that we need to be willing to listen just as they were willing to listen. They listened to all that Peter had to say. The second is they were willing to quiet down. For some of us, that's very difficult. (laughs) Especially in the midst of some sort of argument or some sort of rub. But that is what you and I need to do. And finally, they were willing to humble themselves and say, you know what, okay, yes, the Lord obviously is at work in a new way. And we will praise Him for what He is doing, even though it isn't what we expected to happen, it isn't what we wanted to happen, it isn't even what we preferred to happen. But this is what's happening. God is obviously in it, so we will follow Him and we will praise Him. And and you and I need to have that same kind of attitude. So we've seen today a big difference between having the Lord on our agenda and then actually being on His And we need to recognize that the Lord doesn't want us to just stay where we're at, but He wants us to continue to grow and to change and become more and more like Him. And yet you, like me, might be thinking, well, well, Pastor Jason, I I, I still don't totally get it. There's no centurions today. And the Gentiles, well, they've been part of Christ's church for thousands of years now. So so what can I walk away with? And and I would say, yes, look at points to ponder. But in closing, let, let me give us three things to walk away with from this account. When the rub comes, and it will, determine what side of God that you're on. Are you the one He is working on? Or are you the one He's working through? Are you the one who is overcritical? Are you the one that the Lord wants to change? Or are you the one the Lord wants to use in order to allow someone else to change? Number two, remember to respond well to the rub rather than reacting Look to God to put him, look to place God in the center of what is going on. That will be helpful. And let his word guide your thoughts as well as the direction of where you're going to head. And finally, be teachable, be teachable, be teachable. Be willing to listen and be willing to quiet down. Let me close our time. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do, we stop and we thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you for this depiction of what you did in your church so many years ago to keep your church unified, to keep the doors to your church wide open. Lord, we pray that you would work in our our hearts, that we would do the same, that we would take your gospel into our communities, that we would welcome people here to your church, and that we would love one another with a love that comes from you and that we would follow in the footsteps of Peter, that when the rub comes, that we would keep you as the focus and that we would respond and not react. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.